You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's frustrating nil-nil draw at Emirates Stadium with Sean Dyche's relegation-battling Burnley. Not the result any of us hoped for, not the result any of us expected. Um... You know, I think a lot of people were were kind of quietly optimistic that after Thursday's disappointment, this was almost kind of like the perfect fixture. Relegation fodder, if you want to call them that, at home, um, you know, and, and obviously an opportunity for Arsenal to potentially cash in on whatever was going to happen at Stamford Bridge a little bit later on. We know now that Tottenham went on and lost. Uh, and of course, to cash in on the fact that West Ham were beaten yesterday. And that's why I've titled the podcast as a huge opportunity missed, because I, I really do feel like that today. Has it changed my opinion dramatically on the manager, on some of the players, on uh, where we're headed as a football club? Not really. Um, not Not dramatically anyway. And I'm always conscious that the reaction or the emotion that you feel immediately after the game is is always quite raw and and sometimes the sort of emotion and the fact that we care so much can take us down a path that maybe we shouldn't be going down so I'll get into all that a little bit later on I'll get into where I am on the Arteta thing on the Edu thing um, you know, it feels like we have to keep talking about this stuff because constantly it's being questioned I'm also going to talk about whether I think this meltdown that has uh, come off the back of this result is justified uh, because I do think that there are a lot of people who have genuine concerns and there are a lot of people who um, have expressed those concerns for a while and therefore this would, or what we saw today, enhances their argument, it enhances their um, their stance or, or makes their stance more understandable, I guess. And that's fine. But there are also a lot of doom and gloom merchants out there who are just looking for any opportunity to go absolutely ballistic. And um, and I want to make sure that we differentiate between those two groups of people, because I think that's really, really important. Just while you're here uh, and while I remember, please do hit the like button on the stream. It really, really does help. And if you're not subscribed to the channel and you're watching us on YouTube, what on earth are you waiting for? Subscribe. Also, if you're listening to us via the audio platform, subscribe on wherever it is you get your podcast from, and please do leave us a review. Right, let's start off then, uh, as we always do on these review shows, with Mikel Arteta's team selection. And I think if we're being honest, that like even his biggest critics would have to kind of concede here that there wasn't an awful lot more he could have done given the personnel available. Um, the team looked a lot better on paper going into the game against Liverpool the other night, but we very quickly found out, uh, I thought, that a lot of the players weren't up to speed physically, weren't ready maybe to return to the side. Um, 
And, and, you know, off the back of that, we lost Takahiro Tomiyasu again, and he was unavailable today. So I think the sensible thing to do was to bring in uh, Rob Holding and move uh, Ben White out to right back. A lot of people uh, considered the idea of putting Callum Chambers in at right back. From what I was told going into the game, Callum Chambers wasn't quite 100%, which is why uh, I think that, you know, decision was almost taken out of Mikel Arteta's hands. Rob Holding was fit, was available. And I think he probably felt, and rightly so, that we weren't going to do an awful lot of defending today. And so he could get away with uh, with that change, even if it did mean uh, disrupting that central defensive pairing. As the game went on, you know, we, uh, you know, we struggled. We struggled to break Burnley down. I thought we were better in the second half than we were in the first. Um, obviously, that chance that fell to Alexander Lacazette after the cutback is the one that, for me, stands out. But there were a few. There were a few decent opportunities. But I would still say that even though the stats say we had X amount of shots, that we didn't produce enough clear-cut opportunities. And, and what happens when you don't produce enough of those opportunities is that you become so dependent on that conversion rate being top. And unfortunately in Alexander Lacazette and others. It's not to pick solely on Lacazette. We've got a lot of players um, within this group that are just not clinical enough and are not going to put the ball in the back of the net every single time or at least most of the time. And that's a big problem for us. And I think that's why a lot of people feel that the addition of a prolific striker who will definitely get you 20-odd goals a season is a massive, massive priority for Arsenal. Uh, in this window and going into the next one. But I thought the reason we struggled to break Burnley down, who defended valiantly, you've got to say, uh, you know, you've got to give some praise to Sean Dyche's side. But I thought the main reason we struggled to break them down was because there was a lack of tempo in our game. There was a lack of zip. There was a lack of energy. Um, we didn't make decisions quick enough in certain areas. There were times where you know, players would take an extra touch. There were a few moments in particular involving Kieran Tierney where the ball was cut back to him and you're thinking, just put it in the box. Although that's kind of what Burnley want. You're thinking to just deliver uh, into the penalty area as soon as you can, as early as you can. And he was reluctant to do that, took a touch. It just felt like the quickness of our feet wasn't there, but neither was the quickness of thought. That was a problem for us today as well. And um, and the problem is at this moment in time, when you look at that squad, you look at that substitutes bench today. Who exactly was Mikel Arteta going to turn to to come on and save us today? And you could argue, and we'll come on to this point in a little bit, you could argue that the fact that the squad is so light is largely down to Mikel Arteta, Edu, and some mismanagement. And, and we'll come on to that point separately. So I'm not overlooking it. We will discuss it. But when you look at that substitutes bench, Today it was Leno, Tavares, Chambers, Inketia, Alibiosu, Beerith, Ulad Mahand, Hutchinson, and Patino. With the exception of Inketia, Chambers, Tavares, and Leno, zero Premier League experience there. And that shines a light on how thin we are at the moment and how threadbare this squad is. And I think the fact that it's been threadbare etc etc is um you know is 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 why we were unable to put in a performance against Liverpool 
I think it's largely why we were unable to put in a performance. I don't look at this group of players and think it's for a lack of trying. I don't. I haven't looked at these games and thought that we've got our tactics horribly wrong or anything like that. I think that we're just running on empty. And when you don't have the the quality of player that you'd like to have in order to bring on and change things, then you become reluctant to make changes. And what happens then is that things go stale, people get tired and the level overall drops. And I thought around about the 60th minute, we showed this, uh, you know, we, we kind of sprung into life. We had a couple of chances. The crowd were up on their feet. The stadium was rocking, but it very quickly went flat again. And Burnley were able to very quickly take the sting out of us again. So, I think that, you know, you can analyse a million and one different things in different elements. But I think ultimately, the main reason for Arsenal lacking that cutting edge today was a lack of fuel in the tank. I, I really do believe that. Now, that's not an excuse. That's not giving people uh, a free pass. That's not giving Mikel Arteta a free pass. But I do think that that's had a major, major impact on the level of our performance today. I think that we struggle in or we are struggling right now with uh, Lacazette. I think he, when I talk about players that are dead on their feet, he is right up there. And there have always been question marks about Lacazette and his kind of inability over the last couple of seasons to last for the entirety of a match. And and I think, you know, we're really struggling to replace him if we take him off. Mikel decided not to do that today, brought Eddie and Ketier on in a slightly different position, uh, hoped that that would work. But we're just lacking this presence in the centre forward area. And, you know, we really, really are. I think with Lacazette, one of the things he's been hugely praised for of late is his build up play and him being able to drop deep and get involved. And today and against Liverpool, I didn't see an awful lot of that. But I also didn't see him offer us anything in and around the penalty area either. And it was essentially us carrying a passenger. And again, that whole debate about him blowing hot and cold, it, it comes to the fore again. Um, but you know, ultimately not having somebody that you can call upon to come on and replace him or that you feel can do a good enough job to impact the game is is a big problem as well. Um, going back to the point about tiredness and, and the fact that we're, I think, running on empty, you only had to look at some of those moments in the second half, a couple of times where Bukayo Saka's control let him down. He lost his footing. Ben White control letting him down at various moments and lo lots of players. Those things, they come from being mentally tired as well. They come from being, um, you know, in a place where you're just not functioning right anymore. Uh, a couple of things that are being sort of mentioned in the chat around sort of Arsenal's approach to this game. And this is a good one from Baldev Singh. He says, and I haven't checked this stat out, but he says 25 crosses against Burnley and with a striker that doesn't score. Yeah, look. I, I, I've said this before, Mikel Arteta and Arsenal have had pelters in the past uh, for putting loads of crosses into the box and not really making anything out of them. And I guess for me, what I would say to that or push back on with that is I don't think Mikel Arteta sets the team up to create crossing opportunities. I don't think that's the priority. I don't think that's what they work on on the training ground. I think that's the team lacking in ideas being forced into wide positions and due to a lack of ideas, at times throwing the ball into the penalty area when they probably shouldn't. And I completely agree with you, Baldev. You know, today was not the day for that. 
it was not the day to put long, hopeful balls into the penalty area and hope that we could win something or hope that we can capitalise on a, a second ball. This is Burnley. That's their bread and butter. That's what they absolutely love. And um, and so I did think it was it was the wrong approach. But again, I don't think it was necessarily by design. And I never really thought it was by design when we were accused of doing it too often previously. It always felt to me like we were just unable to penetrate teams in central areas. Teams re- recognised that they could funnel us into those wide channels and allow us to a degree to work balls into the penalty area, trusting that they'd be able to cope with them. And I thought that was, again, the case today. Moving on uh, just uh, slightly as to what this means in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's as I said at the top of the show, as I put in the title, it's a huge opportunity missed. Teams around us dropped points. And although, you know, when you look at our fixture and you compare, you say, you know, you you play Burnley at home if you've got top four aspirations. You've got to. You absolutely have to win that one. Yeah, you do. Um, you know, and, and it might well come back and bite us in the ass later on. But ultimately, the positive, the silver lining to take from this is that West Ham and Tottenham both dropped points. Manchester United didn't. But of course, they've played a game more than us. And if we win that game, we'll move to a point. Uh, above Manchester United. So what I would say is not that this is acceptable, not that we shouldn't be concerned, worried, frustrated by what we saw today, but that it could have been a lot worse. And if you want to find a small positive to take away, because I'm all about positives, right? Who wants to wake up in the morning miserable? If you do want to find a small positive, that is it. The fact that not as much damage has been done as could have been done. That's how I'm looking at it right now. Does this change my stance on Mikel Arteta? No, it doesn't. Because as I said, I don't think we got it tactically wrong today. I just thought we lacked in quality. We lacked in zip. We lacked in tempo. And we're really lacking the energy that is required to play Mikel Arteta's game. Now, Mikel Arteta's game is something we've all seen in recent months that when it works, it works brilliantly. And a lot of people have been impressed by it and taken aback by it. But it's a high energy style of play. And right now we're dead on our feet. You know, in this break, normally when you lose a game, I would say or drop points. I would say that a break is the last thing you want. You you want to get back out on that pitch and get back to winning ways ASAP. But in this instance, I think it's a blessing because we are dead short. And although, again, Mikel will get all the blame and he'll be picked on and he'll be ridiculed. And I've already seen lots of videos going around on social media. Um, you know, people saying, oh, sack him, you know, sack Mikel Arteta now, etc., etc." I just think that the players have a responsibility here as well. You know, Alexander Lacazette stabs that ball into the back of the net. It's a good chance. It's a guilt-edged chance. And everybody's talking about Arsenal battling and managing to break Burnley down and winning a game that they wouldn't have won three or four years ago. You know, that narrative that seems to rear its head every now and again. You think about the fact that we were really light in midfield today and we did struggle there. You know, Sambi doing an admirable job, but you can just see that he's almost had his wings clipped in the sense of he can't play the game that he wants to play, where he gets on the ball, where he makes us tick, where he 
progresses the ball where he carries it forward because of fear of being caught out of position. And that's as a consequence of having somebody next to him who isn't a natural central midfielder. But let's have it right. You know, lots of talk has, has been had about the transfer window and we'll come on to talk about that element of it in a few moments. But lots of talk has been had about the transfer window. But ultimately, transfer window aside, if Granite Xhaka and Thomas Partey don't get themselves sent off, both of them are available today. And perhaps the outcome is very different as a result of that. And, and this is where I'm not saying that you shouldn't hold the manager accountable. You should. You should always hold the manager accountable for performances, for results in the most part. But <laughs> these are the two players who have put us in a worse situation today than we needed to be in. And I believe that we control the midfield and we dictate the midfield and the game a lot more if we have Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka in the middle of the park today. So not saying don't blame Mikel at all, but don't forget that that is why we were so light in midfield on this particular occasion. So let's talk a little bit about the whole transfer thing, right? Because again, you know, the, the outrage is there. You know, people wondering, questioning why. Arsenal are in a place approaching the end of January where we failed to bring in anybody. And, you know, we've been really light this month, really short this month and have a serious, serious problem. This is what I would say. And and listen, I, I don't know this. OK, I, I don't know this. I don't have this on any authority. This is me kind of reading between the lines, but I just want you to hear me out. If you remember when Mikel Arteta first came into the club, we made a few signings and then there was a halt. There was a pause. There was a, a stop. And everybody wondered, what the hell is going on? Why are we not recruiting players? And there was a lot of work being done behind the scenes, as we were told afterwards, in order to try and move players out of the door. And then when we moved some of those players out of the door, even if it was on loans, we then approached the following summer and KSE enabled us to go out, spend funds and bring in six, seven players in the summer. Now, what I am trying to say is the fact that, you know, Arsenal have moved out Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Serge Kolasinac, Pablo Marie during this transfer window. That says to me, and I am, remember, again, just to be clear, reading between the lines here, that says to me that there is a need within Arsenal Football Club to move players on before we can free up the type of funds that we are, would require to bring in some of the big targets that we have. Let's not forget that although KSE spent some money last summer and people say they didn't spend any money, the club did, the club is theirs, therefore the club is KSE. What I want to say is let's not forget the way the club has been run for years and years and years. It's run on a self-sustaining model. And I believe that the reason Arsenal have moved these players out, even at the risk of leaving us short in terms of a squad, I believe the reason for that is because financially, it's huge in Arsenal going out and bringing in players, players that they would see as longer term replacements. Now, ultimately, 
you know, we're talking right now about going out and getting a central midfielder. We're desperately short in midfield. Well, had, as I said, Xhaka and Partey been back today, then you wouldn't be talking about the midfield because we'd be in a place where by the, or we are going to be in a place where by the time we return to Premier League action, we'll have Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, Sambi Lakonga, and Mohamed Elneny, four central midfield players to play in two positions with no European football and no cup football. Can you not see what is going on? This is not Mikel Arteta wanting to leave his team threadbare. This is not Mikel Arteta wanting to get rid of perfectly good options for the sake of it. This is not Mikel Arteta seeking to trim down his squad. This is Mikel Arteta and Edu working to try and create an environment in which they can then take the next step in bringing in players that they believe are fit and right for this project. It's obvious to me that the players that have moved on during this window have been moved on to cut costs have been moved on with a view to us securing permanent deals in some cases where they've been loans in the future and getting some money in that allows us to go and do the business that we actually want to do. And and that's that's kind of how I viewed this transfer window. And look, if we get to, you know, if we get to the end of the window, you know, and I do believe that we are trying and we're working hard behind the scenes. But what would be the point in going in and bringing a stopgap midfielder in now when next time we play, everybody's going to be back? What would be the point in that? I'd rather we didn't do that. I'm not one of these people that were, will just be outraged because we didn't bring in a signing. I want the right signings. I want players that are going to come in and enhance and improve this team. Players that we're not going to be looking back at the signing of in 18 months, 12 months time and saying, why the hell did we do that? Now we have to find a way to move them out. I don't want that. Has January been a shit show? Yeah, it has. You know, we went out in the FA Cup against lower league opposition, obviously frustrating, not happy with it, but we move, you know, it's, it's the FA Cup. It's obviously a competition that means a lot to us as Arsenal fans, but it's not the be-all and end-all for me this season. We then move on and, uh, you know, have a disappointing result, um, you know, in, in the Carabao Cup semi-final. We got to the semi-final. It's a pretty decent run. And we lost to a team that are just on a different level to us. You know, am I disappointed? Of course I am. You, those of you who watched the game, uh, sorry, watched the reaction to that game will have seen how frustrated and disappointed I was with that. But we move on because for me, it's all about the Premier League. It is all about the Premier League. It is all about restoring our status as a European football club. People are asking in the chat, um, you're saying sixth is better than a trophy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that Arsenal need to get back into Europe. That's the next step to getting back to where we want to be. And people will always spin it. They'll say, yeah, well, you know what? Mikel Arteta is the manager that took us out of Europe. And he is. But the heart and soul of this whole thing needed ripping out. It really did. And we needed to start again and we needed to build again. And we needed to build from the ground up. And now... We're at a point where he's had enough time 
and, and enough time for me to be able to say, actually, now no Europe is not acceptable. And I've told you this before, and I'll say it again. If Arsenal do not qualify for Europe this season, if Arsenal do not finish in the top six this season, then serious questions need to be asked. And I'll be the first person to sit here and say, we need to have a think about the direction we're moving in and we need to have a think about the management and about who's making those decisions. I, I, I will say that. You've got it now. I'm recorded. But, you know, we're, we're not off track when it comes to finishing in the top six. And I've said this to you guys time and time again. Top four to me is the absolute maximum, the absolute maximum that this team can achieve. Are we confident that we're going to hit our absolute maximum? No, I'm not. I never was. I never at any point shifted my personal hopes for Arsenal from top six to top four. I kept saying it. Top four to me would be an, a real bonus and a real pleasant surprise. Top six, depending on how we develop, depending on how some of the players develop, depending on how we move forward, is is acceptable. But anything below that is um, is, uh, is is unacceptable. <sighs> Paul McDermott in the chat says, oh my God, that's it. This guy is now saying top six is acceptable. This is sad. Hashtag Arteta out. It's not sad, Paul. It's, it's not getting sucked into delusion. How do you go from a mid-table side in the last two seasons, eighth place side, to expecting the Arsenal break into the top four? A top four of which three of the places are guaranteed to go to Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool because they're all at a much higher level. And I bet you at the start of the season, the majority of people in the live chat here would have said that Manchester United, with the signings they made and the, the recruitment they made, were nailed on to finish in the top four as well. In which case, you are saying that at the start of the season, you thought that Arsenal were in a stronger position, having finished eighth in back-to-back -back seasons, than Manchester United, then Chelsea, then Liverpool, and then... Uh, Manchester City. Come on. Come on. Harambe says, uh, Harry, the context has changed during the course of the season. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Your objectives at the start of the season should be your objectives. And over the course of the season, you can slightly adjust them, but you can't completely flip them. You can't. Because your assessment at the beginning of the season was based on your side and what you thought your side was capable of achieving. As the season goes on, you then start to fall into traps of believing you are better than you are because of other people's shortcomings, i.e. Tottenham Hotspur started the season dreadfully. They started it dreadfully. It led to Nuno Espirito Santo, a brand new manager, losing his job. And at that point, you'd have ruled out Tottenham from being in the top four race. They're just as much in it as we are. You'd have seen Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get sacked by Manchester United. And at that point, you'd have ruled Manchester United out of the top four race, or at least felt that their chances of achieving that were significantly damaged. The point I'm trying to make here 
is that at the beginning of the season, your objectives are based on the shape that you believe your own team is in. And as the season goes on, you then get influenced by what goes on around you and what you see. And if you allow that to have too much of an impact on your expectations, then I think that's a really dangerous game to play. So, yeah, um, that's where I'm at on that. Look, get your questions in. I'd love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear some of your comments. We are going to do a phone-in show uh, this week, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. I think we're probably going to do it um, on, just trying to think off the top of my head, uh, either Wednesday or Thursday, and we'll have a big discussion around all of this. We'll do a good hour and a half solid of taking your calls. Um, so stay tuned to the Twitter feed at Chronicles underscore AFC for more information on that. But yeah, get some of your questions in. Get some of your uh, thoughts in. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, and I'm going to be picking out and responding to some of those comments for the remainder of the show. If you are listening to us via the audio platforms, we're going to take a short pause for a message from our sponsor. Welcome back to part two of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network with me, Harry Simiu. I can see right now that there are over 300 of you joining us live on the YouTube channel, but we only appear to have 68 likes on the board. Look, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, you can do me a favour. Uh, you can uh, hit the like button. It really, really does help the channel. And listen, I love different opinions. I love having discussions, debates. Um and, and as I say, even if you disagree with me, please do hit that like button because it really does help. Uh, and it really does help in terms of growing the channel and um, getting the videos out there. So, yeah, please do. Right. Uh, let's see what we've got in the chat box. Uh, Crook says, I said top six was the target and we were on course for that. Agreed. Then we go for top four next season. That's more realistic. Look, as I was saying earlier on, or as I've been saying earlier on in the season, while top four is there, you should be aiming for it, okay? You should always aspire to achieve the absolute maximum that you can. But you should not then completely write off what you set out to do at the start of the season. That's the point. You know, I, I think a good example of that is, um, is, is Leicester City in recent seasons, right? Leicester City would have set out at the start of recent seasons to qualify for the Europa League. And then over the course of the season and the way the season panned out, there would have been a time where they felt that they were in the hunt for the top four. And while they didn't achieve that and it would be looked at as a bit of a failure because of the circumstances around that, nobody goes back and says, oh, look at Leicester City. They're the biggest flops in the world. They're underachieving. Brendan Rodgers is doing a crap job. Because if you look at what they set out to do at the start of the season, he's exceeded that by being in the top four race for a long period of time. And I feel like we're a bit, we're kind of in that position as well. Uh, what's, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Rodrigue uh, Bukaka says, Harry, your analysis never takes into consideration that we can lose players for COVID and that it's Arteta's fault to re-sign Xhaka, who's causing us all these problems. Look, Xhaka's not causing us all of the problems, is he? You know, he's not the only problem. Uh <laughs> That's that's typical of of the kind of narrative around Granit Xhaka at the moment. Look, it was stupid, the red card that he picked up at Liverpool. It's done us damage not having him available in the second leg for the remainder of the first leg, and of course uh, the other day. But that's we've still left ourselves short in midfield, and that's on the management, right? 
Um, and it's, it's on the club, you know, depending on, on who it is that's, you know, let's just pause for a second, right? When we talk about the transfer window, and we, you know, there's Arsenal fans out there going, just go and get Vlavic. What are you doing? I think from what we're hearing, it's pretty clear that Arsenal are quite happy to spend the money on Dusan Vlavic. But without the season finishing and Mikel Arteta evidencing clear progress, I don't really know how people expect him to be able to convince Vlavic that this is the move for him. Yet people are obsessed with the fact that we should just be able to, this is not FIFA, it's not football manager. Like it's so much more difficult and more complicated than that. Equally, going back to what I was saying earlier, there's a good chance that in order to facilitate the possibility of bringing somebody like that in or somebody like Artur in who's being heavily linked, we've had to move the Maitland-Niles is on, the Marie's on, the um, Kalasinac is on to, to help the wage structure. And to help that breathe a little bit and to give us some breathing space there. We don't know that. That's the point. We don't know what's going on in that sense. It's very easy to say, oh, he's left the squad thin. He's done this. He's done that. But if by the end of the window, we've gone through a couple of weeks of difficulty, but then he's brought in a couple of players that have improved the squad. I think that the risk was worth the reward. But you don't know that until the window closes. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Gary Griffin says, I agree with you, Harry. We exceeded expectations. I thought we would get sixth or fifth. It's not where I want to be, but I was keeping it real. Completely agree. Uh, Victor says, uh, thank you for making sense. Um, Antone says, uh, Harry, I expected us to buy a striker by now. If not, we need a Bamiang back. Look, we do know that Arsenal are trying to get a deal done for a top, top striker. We do know that Arsenal are persisting with this. We do know that Arsenal are doing everything they can at this moment in time to try and get Dusan Vlavic in through the door. And again, I'll go back to that point. If January was a bit of a shit show because we were short, because we had to move players out to give ourselves the opportunity or the, the financial freedom to be able to even try and do deals like that, if we manage to land one of them, then that's a massive positive. And we go into the business end of the season in really, really good shape. Um, Ant says, uh, Arsenal fans always get carried away with a few wins. Never learn. Absolutely. And as I've said to you guys throughout the season, the reaction to victories has to be curbed, just like the overreaction to defeats has to be. You know, the... As a, look, there, there are a lot of people that, you know, allow themselves to get sucked in. And that's part of being a football fan. It's that kind of naivety that we have as football fans or, or the blinkers, if you want to call it that, when you're looking at your own team. We all do it. You know, when we win, it's the best thing ever. When we lose, it's the worst thing ever. It's a disaster. A bit more balance in the way we view things, though, would go a hell of a long way. Uh, Jid32 says, for everyone who's demanding top four, do you think Arsenal have the divine right to finish ahead of United, Leicester, Spurs, etc. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point I was making earlier on, mate. You're, you're absolutely spot on. I believe that Chelsea, Liverpool and City are on a different planet to everybody else in the Premier League. I think there's another little bracket just below that that includes Manchester United on their own because although they're not clicking at the moment, they have an, a, a really talented squad. And then I think it's Arsenal, Leicester, Spurs in that West Ham, in that next group. 
But, you, you know, if you take into account what I've just said, that those three sides are head and shoulders above everybody else, and I challenge anybody in the, the comments to tell me why that isn't the case, then it's one space up for grabs and there's four teams competing for it. It's not going to be easy. It really isn't. Uh, let's take this one from uh, S Cricket Boy. says, should we drop Lacazette and put Martinelli up top? I don't know. I've, I've I've talked about this in the past. You know, we've we've had the discussion before. Is Martinelli capable of transitioning from a left winger into a centre forward? I think a lot of the attributes he possesses um, make that a possibility. But he has been so vocal and so clear that he doesn't want to play there, that he doesn't see himself as a centre forward. And he sees himself as a left winger. And I think when you consider his performances of late and the level they've been at, um, you know, you have to say that actually that's that's probably fair. I, I don't think that's the solution. Um, I really don't. I think Martinelli's been the best option we've got on the left at the moment. I didn't really go into individual performances earlier on, uh, but I do think that Emil Smith-Rowe just looks a little bit below it at the moment. Um, and I think it's right that Martinelli's playing from the left ahead of him, a position that he's regularly occupied since Martin Odegaard arrived. But no, I, I don't really think that's the solution. I, I just think we need another striker. We need a very specific type of striker. And we just don't have that at this moment in time. Uh, Jeff Chang uh, says, uh, well, Edu has no target. He said, that's sad. Make no mistake about it. Edu has a target. He just didn't want to tell everybody. Didn't want to commit to anything for this exact reason. Because Arsenal have settled on the idea and on the fact that this is a long-term project. And setting a target means that even if they hit most of the parameters and hit most of the measures in terms of measuring that progress, there will be people out there that will pull that out of their back pocket and say, no, but you said we're going to finish in the top four and we finished fifth. So you failed. That's not good enough. That's all he was doing. Uh, Gary Griffin says, uh, Harry, at what point do you change targets with regards to Dusan Vlavic and the Artur saga? Well, this is the, the thing, Gary. I, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier on that I don't want to see Arsenal go out there and bring in players for the sake of it and then be in a position 12 months down the line where we're looking for an exit strategy. So for me, I think if they are your targets because you believe that in the long term, and for the good of the team moving forward, they are the perfect fit in terms of player profiles, then I wouldn't change the targets. And I would rather that we didn't go and make huge financial investments on players that weren't fit for purpose and waited until the summer and then had a crack again at getting the players that we actually want or actually feel would take this club forward. So it's not about, you know, going back to the midfield point, as I say, when you've got, midfielders coming back and you're now going to be in a place where you've got four central midfielders to play in two positions and you're not in any cups, you're not in Europe. I, I don't think that the Artur thing is as urgent now as it maybe was three weeks ago. It's very much, in my opinion, you either do it early when you needed it and where it was going to help you through the month of January or you don't rush into anything at all. And, um, you know, I just feel like that one's kind of expired a little bit. The striker thing is for me, uh, really, really important. Uh, Greg Bar Craig Barlow says, Harry, question. Was clearing out players only by Edu 
and not signing players the plan. No, look, as I keep saying, do you believe that any football manager wants to have a thin squad and wants to be limited in his options and doesn't want to have the best players available? I just think that Arsenal are having to make room. Arsenal are having to shave big chunks off of their wage bill in order to be able to facilitate the kind of transfers that they're looking to do. And whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, that's the way this football club operates. It's a self-sustaining model. We've heard that so many times over the years. What indication have we been given by any of the powers that be at Arsenal Football Club that that is or has changed? There's been zero indication of that. So I don't get why we're surprised that Arsenal are trying to move players out to then bring players in. Uh, what else have we got? Um, uh, going back to the game, Crook says, do you think that tackle on Tierney was worthy of a straight red? It was certainly, uh, there was certainly a conversation to be had there. I actually thought that, I think it was, was it Brownhill? Uh, was it Josh Brownhill? Was it the guy? Or, no, sorry, Westwood. It was Westwood. I thought he should have gone. Um, I thought he was incredibly fortunate not to go uh, today, but it's not a surprise, is it? The way um, the way we seem to get treated. And I think Charles Watts summed this up perfectly in a tweet he put earlier on where he said, I've never seen a referee care less about time wasting. That just sums up the officials' performances today. You know, he, he completely ignored it every time it happened. Everybody in the stadium bringing it to his attention. And his response was that classic pedantic, whistleblow and then waving of the arm and then he'd turn around again and Nick Pope would take another 20 seconds and the referee would take no action frustrating uh let's see what else have we got uh Tariq talks says we got four points from our games against Burnley he's averaging four points every two games enough to get a top four spot but if you average if you average uh, four points every two games. You're doing two points a game, right? So two times 38 would put you on 76 points. Okay. So if we share the Premier League table and we look back at this over the years, because I've said this and and people kind of take this the wrong way. But if you look back at last season, for example, 76 points finish puts you in second. If you go back to 2019, 2020, 76 points puts you in third. If you go back to the season prior to that, 76 points puts you in third again. There are going to be, um, you know, ups and downs here. And, and that's just part and parcel of it. And look, I'm not saying that we're definitely going to do this, but obviously we travel to Wolves next, okay? And, and I was talking to my mate on the way home from the game about this. And, and one of the things I was saying was, if we go and beat Wolves, which is, not going to be easy, but it's possible if we have everybody back fresh, fit and firing. There's no reason why we can't feel like we can at least, um, you know, challenge Wolves. If we go to Wolves and come back with three points, then we'd have picked up four points from Burnley and Wolves. But if you flip the results around and say we beat Burnley at home and then got a draw away to a very good Wolves side, everybody would be going, oh, yeah, 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 I'll take that. That's decent. That's pretty good. What's the difference? The points tally that you bring back 
from a win and a draw with that with whichever way around they were is the same and that's the like the narrative can shift so quickly um you know it, it can just shift so quickly it drives me mad Dave says, hi, Harry, we'll keep a calm head and don't get drawn into our reactionary fan base and be practical. If we get top four, it's a bonus. Exactly. Harry Atkinson says, why do our fans always pile in on the manager and players? It really doesn't help. We need to do more support in that is what you're supposed to be. Supporters completely agree. And I feel like that's lost on a lot of people. Um, Westbird says, we've had a positive, look at the positives. We've had a fantastic weekend. We've gained a point on the spot. Yeah, agreed. Look, and, and that's why I called it an opportunity missed because it could have been more. We could have gained three points on them. Instead, we've gained one, but it's not a disaster because we haven't lost ground. We've actually moved forward slightly in that sense. Um, and it is disappointing. But as I say, it's, it feels like an opportunity missed as opposed to a straight up disaster. Uh, what else have we got? Um let's see let's see what people are saying in the chat uh wada says great channel thank you so much mate don't forget if you're new to the channel please do subscribe please uh, consider becoming a member of the channel as well we're going to be bringing you a members podcast uh, on wednesday this week so uh, i'd love to hear from some of our members uh, all you need to do is click on the link in the description sign up to a membership join the discord server and i'll be uh, bringing three of you on with me on this week's members podcast and we'll be doing that weekly moving forward very very much looking forward uh to being joined by some of you and as a little thank you from me as well uh for your excellent support of the program wow the comments are really popping off i'm just trying to keep up uh to date with them uh what else have we got uh matt murdoch says harry you said earlier that if jacker and Parte hadn't had red cards we wouldn't have a midfield problem now. But isn't Xhaka, hasn't Xhaka always been a liability? He's had 19 apologies on Instagram. That says it all. Yeah, um, he has been a liability in that sense in the past. But clearly, not just Mikel Arteta, but Unai Emery before him and Arsene Wenger before that feel that the positives that he brings to the team when he's available outweigh those negatives. Now, you might not agree with that. And a lot of people disagree with that. And that's absolutely fine. But the point I was making there was not that let's have a Granite Xhaka debate again because I'm sick and tired of it. But the point I was trying to make is that if those players are available, today looks very different and you can freshen up the team from the team that played on Thursday. And all of a sudden, you might have that extra bit of energy, that extra bit of, uh, you know, zip tempo in your game, control in the midfield that creates that platform from which you can go on and win it. And all I'm saying is that if people are going to pile in on the manager like they are doing this evening um, on all sorts of things that I've been seeing on social media, then you have to be fair and at least acknowledge the blame of the players as well. You know, because a lot of the time, like people are obsessed with this idea that football it's all about the manager. You know, if you win, it's all because of the manager. It's all because of the tactics. It's all because of the personnel. And if you lose, you know, it, it's it's all about the manager again. It, it doesn't work like that. The manager has an influence up to a certain point. But I would say the manager probably has less than 50% of an influence on the outcome of a football match because ultimately the players have to go out there and execute. The players have to go out there and, and you know, and pull off whatever it is that they're trying to do. And, and that 
is um is something that seems to be forgotten it's just so easy to pick at the manager and and want to crucify the manager i don't know um let's see what else uh, we've got um kevin frank says the atmosphere away and at home is actually positive we are supportive it's disingenuous to say they're not we just don't believe we're going to where we believe we should be i'm not saying that everybody is not supportive but there were people today at the end of the game for example that chose to boo why are you booing why are you bo- who on earth thought that manchester city were going to go and drop points at southampton yesterday nobody you know who thought that manchester city were going to lose at home to crystal palace earlier in the season nobody this is the premier league and results of this nature can happen and we're not even half as good as some of those teams i've just mentioned I'm talking about Man City, talking about the teams right at the top. Yet they can have these kind of results. And for us, it's totally unacceptable and it's the end of the world, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that we could do a much better job as a fan base overall of being behind the team and being united in the way we move forward. And to hear people boo, I heard people behind me in the stadium shouting F off Arteta. I mean, what does that achieve? He's not going anywhere. We know he's not going anywhere now. Get behind him. Get behind the players. Dave says, I've supported Arsenal for almost 50 years. This is not acceptable anymore. There are loads of issues, but we need to deal with the mediocrity we as supporters are expected to put up with. I I don't think, though, that being realistic about where we are is accepting mediocrity. Those two things always seem to get confused, in my opinion. You know, you're not expected to put up with mediocrity. You always want the best, of course. But football changes and football works in cycles. And at this moment in time, Arsenal are not at the top of the pile. The game has become more money-based. It's become more commercialised. It's become so different that and pardon me for saying this this might offend clubs uh, supporters of certain clubs but we're in a world now where soulless football clubs who are on the brink of extinction can get a cash injection and all of a sudden rise to the top of the game that's the, the 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 modern day football it's impossible to compare arsenal now to the arsenals of the past Because back then, being a big club, having the biggest support, having the biggest fan base, that meant something. That meant that you could, you know, you were right up there in terms of your financial capabilities. It meant that you were respected. It it meant so many things. And now Manchester City, who can't even get a crowd in at the Etihad, despite having some of the best players in world football and playing some of the best football that a lot of us have ever seen, you know, they're, they're at the top of the pile. They're at the top of the pile because of this, because of cash. And until Arsenal are in a position where they have somebody running the club, owning the club, who is willing to invest that sort of cash, we have to accept that it's going to be hard to compete with those sides. It's not accepting mediocrity. It's being realistic about the state of the competition and realistic about where our place is in it right now. 
We should always strive to be as good as we can. And we should always strive to be at the very top of the pile. But when we're not, you have to look at the reasons why we're not. And I don't think you can go completely overboard. And I don't think you can go mad um, about the fact that Arsenal are, are not there at this moment in time. Because it all goes back to the ownership discussion. Let's see uh, what else we've got uh, in the chat box. I'm just going to take a couple more uh, before I um, I jump off. Uh, but we will, of course, be back throughout Monday with some more content. I've got some really interesting content coming for you guys at on the 12.30 midday stream. If you're listening via the audio, that's today. If you're listening or watching via YouTube, that's tomorrow. Um, so Monday, 12.30 p.m., I'm going to be joined by Ishmael Diallo. Now, that may, name might mean something to you as Arsenal fans. He was a really exciting academy prospect at Arsenal, no longer at the club, but came up through the ranks with a lot of the household names and, and fan favourites that we're seeing out there representing the Arsenal nowadays. So really looking forward to chatting to Ishmael about his career, but also getting some insight as to how things work at Hale End, um, what the kind of process is all about, what it's like behind the scenes and getting to know a little bit more about some of those players that we support now week in, week out. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, lots of great questions and I promise we'll do uh, some more time on questions um, a little bit later on. Uh just trying to decide which one I'm going to go with because there's so many. Um, Darren Sullivan says, you're working against the team, Harry, supporting this rubbish. Listen, uh, Darren, I will support Arsenal no matter what's going. I will support Arsenal if we're in League One because that's what a supporter does. You know, it doesn't mean I'm happy with it. I'm not happy with it. Do you think I want to go waste my Sunday? I could be sitting with my two children in the warm, spending invaluable time with them that you know doing this job unfortunately means is very limited I could be spending that time with them I don't want to go and watch us be bad but I also think that when we made the decision to appoint Mikel Arteta when we made the decision to adopt the recruitment strategy that we did in particular last summer it was it was clear that this wasn't going to happen overnight and why is it that in the modern era, patience is just nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be found? You know, if come the end of the season, as I've said time and time again, we don't see that progress and we don't finish in the top six, then I'll be talking about the need uh, for probably changing the manager, you know, and, and I think it would be completely fair then. But the fact that we've had such a shit January and we're still within reach of our targets it's not something to be proud of, but it's something that should at least def uh, should at least deter people from going over the ball, uh, like sort of overboard, from going over top, over the top. Can't even speak so late. Yeah, that's all I'm saying, right? Like this, this meltdown is like this is the kind of meltdown that I would expect on the day where it's mathematically impossible for us to finish in the top six. Yet it's come now. 
that's I don't know. That's that's why I'm I'm finding it difficult to kind of process it. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But anyways, going to leave it there. Going to leave it there. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. It's been great as always. Great points raised uh, in the chat by everybody. Good debate. Good discussion as always. Don't forget Ishmael Diallo joins me tomorrow. We'll also be bringing you a transfer update show if there's anything to update you on. Uh, but we'll also be bringing you a podcast live in the evening as well. So plenty of content coming your way over the next 24 hours or so. Make sure your notifications are turned on. Uh, let's try and hit 150 likes. We're 12 away. Uh, should be easy. Please do hit that like button. Really, really appreciate it. And of course, if you're listening via the audio platforms, please do leave us a review. I'll be back very, very soon with more. Uh, until next time, take care of yourselves and have a good night. All the best. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.